You are now tuned in to the Decoding Success Podcast, where we reveal game-changing habits, formulas, and routines from the world's most successful individuals to help you think and live larger. What's going on, everyone? You are rocking with your host, Matt Labrie, and you are tuned into the Decoding Success Podcast. Now, I have to say, it is rather rare. And when I say rare, I mean this has never happened before in the history of our show, but we are now putting out our fourth interview in a row. Just such amazingness going on with our guest, and we are really excited to share this one with you today. I'm going to kick it off by saying this. Alexander Graham Bell has this amazing, amazing quote, and this is exactly how we're going to open up this episode. He said, Concentrate all your thoughts upon the work at hand. The sun's rays do not burn until brought to a focus. Now, the only thing with that quote is the fact that it was probably said when the world was a lot less distracting. Can we all agree with that? Luckily, today, our guest is teaching teaching us how all of us can develop a superpower. And no, I'm not talking about flying, which would be freaking awesome, but a superpower that is equally as awesome and it could take us from where we are today to where we want to be. And that superpower is being indistractable. Today, we are joined by our friend Nir Ale. Now, Nir writes, consults, and teaches about the intersection of psychology, technology, and business. The MIT Technology Review dubbed Nir the profit of habit-forming technology. Nir founded two tech companies since 2003 and has taught at the Stanford Graduate School of Business and the Hasso Plattner Institute of Design at Stanford. He is the author of the best-selling book, Hooked, How to Build Habit-Forming Products, and Indistractable, How to Control Your Attention and Choose Your Life, which is exactly what we're diving into today in just a little bit. Now, in addition to blogging at nearandfar.com, Nir's writing has been featured in the Harvard Business Review, TechCrunch, and Psychology Today. Nir is also an active investor in habit-forming technologies, Some of his past investments include Eventbrite, which, hey, I have an event up there right now for our virtual networking event that is nationwide. Make sure to check that out. Link will be in the show notes. Refresh.io, which was acquired by LinkedIn. WorkLife, which was acquired by Cisco. Product Hunt, Marco Polo, Presence Learning, Seven Cups, Pana, Kahoot, Bite Foods, Focusmate, and Anchor.fm, which was acquired by Spotify as well. There's a ton of podcasts on there. And luckily, today... Nir is bringing his talents right here to Decoding Success to share with us all his insights, his habits, his ideas, his values, his experiences, and so much more to help you, yes, you, live your best life. On top of that, we have something else to help you live your best life. If you're a business owner, if you're a top-level exec, if you're a decision maker, if you're someone that just calls the shots, it can be really difficult to scale business. Seriously. Luckily, I've come across an amazing platform called GenM, which provides a database of remote interns that will allow for you to add a dedicated team member to your squad in a cost-effective manner. I speak so highly of this company and would love for you to check them out through the link in the show notes of this episode. Listen, honestly, I use them here at 1B Branding and what a game changer. What an absolute game changer. And as you know, I never charge for the content on this show, but 
if you could drop a rating and review, that would be the best way. That would be better than any dollar amount that we would charge. Seriously, that rating and review means the absolute world to us. It takes less than 20 seconds. You can do it while you listen to this, unless you're driving. I don't want you to text and drive. And hey, you can make our day by doing so. But now, without further ado, we bring to you our friend, Near Ale. Nir, first and foremost, super excited to have you here, super excited to amplify your message and learn from you. So I just want to express my gratitude and say thank you for joining us today. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. A hundred percent. Now, first question, this is always how we kick off these interviews. First question for you is how do you personally define success? So success for me is defined as the freedom to work on things that I'm personally passionate and curious about. So I, my rule for what I want to work on is to follow my curiosity. Uh, and, and so I didn't always have that luxury in life. I'll be honest with you. Sometimes I just had to, to crank and, and, and use one step uh, at a time for a different uh, stepping stone for something I really wanted to explore. But when I had that luxury, uh, that's always what I will choose is go for the path of, of scratching that itch of curiosity. Yeah, I love that. That's awesome. That's very unique. I appreciate you sharing it. And I'm curious, how did you transition from kind of not having that freedom to having that freedom? Because I think that's where, you know, a lot of people want to make that leap. So I'm curious what, you know, how that happened for you? Yeah, I, <laughs> a lot of hard work and many, many years. And I know that's not the answer that a lot of folks want to hear. Uh, a lot of us want, you know, some kind of get rich quick scheme. And unfortunately, if there is such a thing, I definitely haven't found it. It, it took a lot of work. Uh, I helped start two companies. Uh, the first one was in the solar energy business. And then I sold that one three years later. Uh, and I worked my butt off. I was uh, climbing roofs and installing solar and selling solar. And, you know, I had to do, if an employee didn't show up, then I would have to do whatever it took to get it done. Uh, and, and it was very, very hard work. So thankfully, though, we, we sold that company and then uh, went to business school, uh, you know, upgraded my skills so that I could uh, start a company. I started started a, a business with a few friends uh, when I was at business school in the advertising and gaming industry. And uh, that company was later acquired a few years after that. And it was only after <laughs> I, I had successfully uh, helped two companies get acquired that I had time to do what I really love, which is what I do today, which is to write and research. And even that, I didn't do... Um, uh, by design. I, I did it because I thought I was, I, I wanted to figure out what I wanted to do next, where I wanted to invest my human capital. And so I wanted to spend some time thinking about you know, what kind of industries and skills would be important for my next venture. And I had this hypothesis that habits would really matter. And I started writing and researching about uh, how do you build a habit forming product? And I wanted to learn from, you know, the, 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 the most habit forming products on earth, you know, the, the Facebooks and Googles and Instagrams and YouTubes and Slack. And so that's where the premise for my book, my first book, Hooked, came from was that study uh, of those products. And it turned out that other people wanted to know what I was learning as well. And so my blog turned into a class at Stanford that I taught with uh, uh, my former professor. And then uh, that class I ended up teaching on my own as well later on uh, as part of uh, corporate workshops that, I, that I've done for the past several years. And so it kind of just, you know, one thing led to another. I, I don't know if I could give someone the advice of following this path. I just kind of, uh, you know, made this my own path. But I think the lesson I took away was whenever I followed my curiosity, the curiosity sustained me long enough to get good at something. Uh, that, because I, I think, you know, one of my mantras is uh, consistency over intensity. 
that, uh, you know, working out after New Year's Day uh, for a couple of weeks does nothing. What, what, what gets you results in terms of your fitness is consistently working out for years and years and years. If you want to be really good at something, if you want to be a world-class expert on something, you have to be consistent and put in effort every single day for a long period of time. Uh, that's how we get really good at something. And so consistency over intensity is one of my mantras. But in order to gain that consistency, it has to be something that you are, you, you find the curiosity in it. You find the variability. And so that kind of led me to what I, I wrote about in my most recent book, Indistractable, because I thought, I think if there's one enemy to consistency, to consistent practice, to becoming world-class at something, it's distraction. That we all know these basic truths of, you know, if you want to be good at something, you have to put in the effort. If you want, you know, we all know uh, basic nutrition. We all know uh, that we have to eat right, good food and not eat uh, junk food. We all know that if we want to have great relationships, we have to put in the time with people we love. And yet we don't do it we get distracted. And so that's why I really wanted to tackle this problem because I think most of us don't have a gap in knowledge. We, we, for the most part, know what to do. What we have is an execution gap. We don't do it. And so that's really what Indistractable is all about. How do we do what we know we should do? Certainly, you know, and first and foremost, I want to thank you for your transparency because it's always reassuring to hear that there's really, quote unquote, no such thing as an overnight success and it's really taken X amount of years to get there. So I really appreciate that transparency, especially where I'm at in life. Secondly, I want to congratulate you for all of the achievements. I mean, your book Hooked, Indistractable, absolutely amazing. That's kind of what I want to transition into right now. I was actually just watching a YouTube video (laughs) right before this and it was you. I just wanted to make sure that I was primed for this interview. And it was you delivering a speech on Indistractable. Mm-hmm. And one of the things you mentioned was, you know, you, you were with your daughter, I believe, and there was a part of a book or something that you were reading and it, you know, it mentioned what superpower you would like to have. And mm-hmm. you mentioned how you were distracted in that moment. And you don't necessarily recall what your daughter said until you asked her again. But you said that the superpower you would want is to be indistractable. And I just want to clear this up. It's not indestructible. It's indistractable. So my thing, my, my question right off the bat is what made you give that response, give that answer. And I kind of want to tie that into why did you want to write this book? Yeah. Yeah. So the story with my daughter, just to catch everyone up to speed here. So uh, I was sitting with my daughter and we had this beautiful afternoon planned uh, and we had this book of activities that daddies and daughters could do together. And one of the activities in the book was to ask each other this question, that if you could have any superpower, what superpower would you want? And I wish I could tell you what she said in that moment, but I can't because when she was telling me her answer, I got distracted and I didn't, I didn't listen. I was on my phone. I was looking at something going on on my device and I wasn't paying attention. And I'm, I'm embarrassed to admit that. And I'm also, you know, if I'm totally honest with you, it, it didn't just happen once. It happened multiple times, not only with her, it would happen when I'd sit down at my desk and I'd say, okay, I've got that big project to work on and I'd procrastinate. Uh, or I would uh, be with friends and, uh, or I'd be at a, at a cocktail party and I'd, I'd be on my phone as opposed to being present in, in, with, in a social setting. And, and this kept happening, that I kept getting distracted. And at first I thought it was the technology. I thought the technology was doing it to me. Uh, but then the more I, I researched the problem, I found that it wasn't actually the device itself. The device is the proximal cause. 
the root cause was the psychology of distraction, that, that really there's a hidden cause to why we get distracted. And if we don't deal with that root cause, we'll always get distracted by something. And so that was kind of this, this moment when I said, okay, I really have to do something about this. And so I, 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 uh, I read every book on the topic of distraction and focus, and they all basically said the same thing, right? Get rid of the device. The device is the problem. But the more I researched, well, first of all, I tried these techniques and they didn't work because I, I need my devices for my livelihood, as many of us do, right? It's very nice to say in theory, get rid of social media, but you know, I, I don't want to get rid of social media. I like staying in touch with my friends. I need the, these tools for my livelihood as well. And so I wanted to find how can we uh, get the best of these tools without letting them get the best of us. And so that led me on this five-year uh, research quest to, to figure out a practical framework that is is not only pro-human, it's also pro-tech, that we can really get the best of these tools without letting them get the best of us. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I have a million and one questions. I, I literally have a notepad out on top of the notes that I have for this interview because I am not the best at staying focused and I have a ton of distractions around me. So first and By foremost, way, I'm not either. That's, the, that's why I wrote this book. <laughs> you know, <laughs> some, some people don't struggle with distractions. Some people can do what they say they're going to do every single day. They never get distracted. They, they, they execute perfectly. Now there aren't many of those people, <laughs> but I will admit I am not one of those people. I do not have a lot of self-control. That's why I wrote the book. I needed a system to help me do what it is I say I'm going to do. All right. So you just, you just mentioned self-control. So right off the bat, outside of maybe self-awareness or discipline, what other qualities or characteristics or habits do you feel need to be in place to be indistractable? Okay. So it's, it's not about who you are. It's about what you do. It's about a system that you have in place to help you live with personal integrity. I mean, that's what being indistractable is all about. It doesn't mean you never get distracted. It means you understand why you got distracted, why you went off track so that you can do something about it. You know, there's that quote that's uh, misattributed to Einstein, but the quote says that, you know, insanity is defined as doing the same thing again and again and expecting different results. And so this was my life. I, I was a dummy for every day getting distracted, right? Every day I would have this list of to-dos. Let me know if this sounds familiar to, to you. I would have all these to-dos, all these things I'm going to do every day. And then day after day, they would go from one day to the next to the next. And I wouldn't finish everything I said I was going to do. And so this was crazy. I mean, it'd make me feel like crap, right? It's a terrible feeling to know that you have all these things over your head that you, you don't get done. And so I, I, I wanted to figure out why, right? Why is it that I, I keep promises to other people Right? I wouldn't want anyone to think I'm a liar or, or, or to, to, to not you know, fulfill my obligations. And yet I wasn't fulfilling my obligations to myself all the time. I was lying to myself day in and day out. So what you do is first and foremost recognize there's nothing wrong with you. That all of us have this tendency, right? We all, Socrates and Aristotle 2,500 years ago talked about the nature of akrasia. Uh, this was 2,500 years ago, right? Way, way before Facebook and iPhones, people were saying how distracting the world is. So this is not a new problem. It's totally a, a, a normal uh, part of life. Uh, however, what's changed is that if you are seeking distraction, then distraction you will find, right? It's easier than ever to escape uh, the, 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 the real life by entering some kind of virtual environment on your phone or on your computer. So what this means is that we have to implement these four basic tactics. The four basic tactics, number one, is to master the internal triggers. It turns out that most distraction starts from within us. That the reason we get distracted is because we are looking for psychological escape. So when we feel bored, 
We check Reddit or sports scores. When we're lonely, we check Facebook. When we're uncertain, we Google. And it turns out that these uncomfortable emotional responses are why we do everything in life. Everything we do is to escape discomfort, even the pursuit of pleasure, if you think about it, right? Wanting, craving, desire. There's a reason we say love hurts. All of this stuff we do to escape psychological discomfort. And so we have to understand that fact first, because I don't care what life hacks you use, what productivity gurus tell you. If you don't figure out these uncomfortable emotional states that you're looking to escape from, you will always get distracted from something. So that's the first step is to master the internal triggers. Then the second step is to make time for traction. You know, two thirds of Americans don't keep a calendar. Well, that's ridiculous because you can't call something a distraction unless you know what it distracted you from. So if you don't have a calendar, and I mean keep it down to the minute. I know some people think that's crazy, right? They want to be spontaneous. They want to have plenty of time to to do what they want to do. That's fine. You can schedule time to do whatever you want. If you want time to pray or meditate or walk around or, you know, stare at the sky, that's fine. But you got to put that time in your calendar or else someone will eat up your day, right? If you don't plan your day, someone else will. So you have to make time for traction. If you want to live up to your values, if you want to be the kind of person that you want to be, you have to make time in your calendar to live out those values. Uh, and, and so, and so that, that means you have to keep these time box calendars and I'll send you a link in the show notes where I built this free tool you can use to make your own time box calendar. Then the third step is to hack back the external triggers. So we know that our devices are designed to hack our attention. This, this isn't news to anybody, right? Uh, the incentives of Facebook and YouTube and all of these companies is to keep you checking. Uh, your boss loves that you check email all day and all night uh, because they make more money when you're constantly responsing, uh, responsive to, to their requests. And so the idea here is that we want to hack back those external triggers, not just on our phones, not just on our computers, but we want to hack back email. Oh my God, what a tremendous waste of time most people uh, devote to to email. Uh, Meetings, we need to hack back meetings, group chat. We need to hack back the external triggers that are prevalent with these various uh, interruptions. And then finally, we can prevent distraction with pacts. We can use this ancient technique called setting a pre-commitment to make sure that we don't get distracted in the first place. And so it's these four techniques, and we can dive into to more depth than any of them, but they have to be done in this order. Master the internal triggers, make time for traction, hack back external triggers, and then finally, prevent distraction with pacts. That, those four techniques are how we become indistractable. I love that. Now, just to clarify, in step two, you said make time for traction. What do you mean by traction? Okay, great question. So, in order to understand what distraction is, we have to understand what the opposite of distraction is. The opposite of distraction, most people tell you, is focus. It's not focus. The opposite of distraction is traction. Both words come from the same Latin root, trahare, which means to pull. And you'll notice both words end in the same five letters, A-C-T-I-O-N, that spells action. So traction is any action that pulls you towards what you want to do, things that you are doing with intent. The opposite of traction is distraction, any action you are doing that pulls you away from what you want to do, things that you did not do with intent. So you got traction, you got distraction. They're like two arrows pointing to the left and to the right. And then you've got these two things that prompt you to either traction or distraction, the internal triggers or the external triggers. And so that's where this four-part model comes from. 
Interesting. Okay. So my question to that is, what do you recommend for someone who can find traction and distraction in the same place? And I'll give you an example. You brought up social media. Now as a business owner, or who knows, maybe someone listening is a real estate agent there, you know, they're posting one of their listings. And the next thing you know, their post goes up and they're like, oh, let me just scroll a little bit. Right. So what do you recommend for an individual who can find them both in the same place? Yeah. So the only way to tell the difference between traction and distraction is one word. And that is intent. Traction is anything you did with intent. That thing, something that pulled you towards what you want. So something you planned ahead to do is traction. Even something that most people think is a distraction. Let me get, to give you in, in my case, right? So social media. I used to check social media all the time. And I'll be honest with you, I was doing it to escape right? I was doing it when I was bored. I was doing it when I was stressed. I was doing it when I was lonely. I was doing it when I was anxious. It was used because of these internal triggers as an emotional pacification device. But there's nothing wrong with using social media. Social media is wonderful if we use it when we want to, as as opposed to when the app makers want us to use it. So what do I do? I have time in my day for checking social media. There's literally a place on my calendar for social media time every day. And so now I turn something that used to be a distraction into traction. We can also see this, this is why this is so important because of what I call pseudo work. Pseudo work is when you do something that feels productive, right? So for me, it would be, okay, I'm going to work on that big project I've been procrastinating on. I'm going to do that thing that I've been putting off right after I check email, (laughs) right? Because email feels productive, right? That's kind of a worky thing to do, right? No, if it's not what you plan to do, it is just as much of a distraction as watching YouTube videos or playing video games because it's not what you plan to do with your time. So don't let distraction trick you. You have to plan your day or someone else will. Your email will distract you. Your boss will distract you. Your kids, your spouse, the news, something is going to distract you unless you decide what is traction and what is distraction for you and your life by planning ahead. Awesome. So planning is a a major, major part of this. I'm starting to realize, I mean, I had a a little journal or maybe it's not a journal, but a planner that was literally broken down by, you know, 30 minute increments. So I think I'm going to have to go back to that after having this conversation with you. Really, really grateful for this. You know, just want to throw that out there again. And going back to that, you know, that four step model, going back to number three, which you said was hacking back external triggers. I want to go a little bit deeper there because I just want to gain some clarity on that. What do you necessarily mean by hacking back an external trigger, which you said were meetings and emails and things of that nature? Yeah. So the external triggers are anything in your environment that prompts you to traction or distraction. So it can be a ping, a ding, a ring, something on your, you know, something on your phone. It could be something on your computer. It can be a colleague stopping by your desk and saying, oh my God, you won't believe the latest gossip I heard. Anything that pulls you away from that calendar that you made, which by the way, you don't have to take out that paper calendar. I, I built a tool that's totally free that you can use. I'll give you a link in the show notes so you can make your own schedule. Uh, I built a very, very simple stripped down tool that, that's totally free uh, that, that anyone can use to decide what is the difference between traction and distraction. So the external triggers are not necessarily bad, okay? An external trigger that tells you to do something you plan to do is wonderful. If you get a notification on your phone that says, okay, now it's time to make those sales calls. Now it's time to hit the gym. Now it's time to go to that meeting, whatever it might be. And that's what you plan to do with your time. Well, then wonderful. That's moving you towards traction. But if you get an external trigger on your phone uh, that, that, you know, while you're with your, your daughter or a loved one that, you know, tells you to check your email or check your social media account when you plan to be with someone you love, now it's a distraction. So the idea here is to hack back 
the external triggers that don't serve you by asking yourself this question. Is the trigger serving me or am I serving it? And what we want to do is to hack back those external triggers that don't serve us. Now, it's, it's kindergarten stuff to do this on your phone. Even though two-thirds of Americans never change their notification settings, it takes you about 45 minutes. I told you exactly how to do it in just a few pages. And you can turn your phone, your computer into an indistractable device. The much more pernicious and common causes of distraction have to do with these other environments where we find ourselves. You know, meetings, oh my God, how much time do we spend in pointless meetings? Well, I tell you exactly how to hack back those meetings. There's a few things you can do. For example, requiring an agenda. I mean, this sounds like baby stuff, but look, here's the rule. No agenda, no meeting, <laughs> right? And you would not believe how many pointless meetings get, get uh, uh, stripped away when you make people do these very simple steps. So this is a technique that comes out of Amazon. When they have these meetings, you have to not only deliver an agenda to everyone beforehand, but the person who calls the meeting has to deliver a briefing document. Why? Because the purpose of a meeting is one thing. Not brainstorming. Brainstorming is stupid in meetings, okay? Brainstorming, the studies have found, have to, are best done in very small groups, one to two people, or by yourself. Because what happens is we call these meetings to brainstorm, and you know why they're called. They're called not because people are trying to find an answer. It's because people don't want to do the goddamn work of thinking. Yeah. And so they call a meeting and say, hey, everybody, I got a problem. Let's talk about it. Okay, but if you just sat down at your desk and thought about it for an hour, you could have come up with the answer. So what Amazon makes people do is to create a briefing document to make the person who wants the meeting think about it for themselves first because the point of a meeting is one reason, to engender consensus. That is the point of why we meet, okay? If it's not to do that, do it online, right? Send an email if it's, hey, let's update each other. I hate these stupid meetings where we get together and everybody says stuff that could have been put in an email. How pointless is that, right? So instead of having a meeting to, to share information, that's the kind of stuff that should be done in non-synchronous channels, right? Over email or something. Meetings, when we meet in a synchronous meeting, it's for consensus building. And so you have to provide an agenda, you have to provide a briefing document, and no devices in these meetings. How frustrating is it when you have a meeting and you say, okay, we're gonna be, we're gonna be here to discuss something, and there's somebody in the room who decides that's a good time to check email on their phone. It's infuriating, and more importantly, when they don't know what's going on, they can't participate. So basically, we've got this warm body in the room because they're not fully present. And so the rule has to be, if we're going to meet in the real world, we have to be there in both body and mind or else we shouldn't meet, right? We should conduct business over email or Slack channels or some other forum. So that's just one example of one environment that we can hack back. We can hack back meetings. We can hack back email. I give you techniques that can reduce the time spent on email by up to 90%. Literally, this is what people who have read the book and implemented these techniques have told me that they reduce their time spent on email by, by 90%. Uh, how to, and then of course, how to hack back your phone, your computer, all of these various environments where you have these external triggers that prompt you towards distraction. For sure. I love that. I love that. Now, my, my question to that is, what can we implement in our lives to create a quote unquote, do not disturb type of mindset for ourselves? Because, you know, sometimes, I mean, we could go looking for distractions, but distractions can also come looking for us as well. I mean, that's kind of what we just talked about a little bit. So is there anything you recommend to kind of just trigger a, hey, this is your do not disturb time? Yeah, absolutely. So, so one of the environments I talk about hacking back is the open floor plan office. 
we know that these open floor plan offices are one, they're not going away because they save companies tons of money over having to give people their own office. <laughs> we know it saves a ton of money in real estate costs, so they're not going away. And they do have some benefits. They can actually engender uh, some creativity and, and discussion. So they do have some benefits. The problem is they are terrible for helping people focus. Uh, and anyone who's worked in an open floor plan office has seen this. It's very, very hard to focus when people can just walk by your desk and say, hey, what's going on? You want to hear the latest office gossip? And it can be very, very distracting. So uh, every copy of Indistractable comes with a screen sign. A screen sign is this piece of cardstock that you pull out of the book, you rip it out, you fold it into thirds, and you put it on your computer monitor. And it says on it, I'm indistractable at the moment. Please come back later. And so it's just a polite way of telling your colleagues, I can't talk right now. Now, I'm not saying you should do this all day long, right? Only doing it, only do it when you need time to think, time for focused work. But that, this simple cue, and I think, you know, some people say, well, that's what I use headphones for, right? Eh, not exactly. Because even if people don't interrupt you with when, you're, when you have your headphones on, let me tell you, they think you're listening to a podcast or watching a, a YouTube video, okay? <laughs> so you want to make it clear to people that you're not listening to a podcast, you're not, listen, you're not watching a YouTube video, you're doing focused work by putting this sign on, this, on the screen that tells people, please don't interrupt me right now. Now, what, what about from a digital perspective? There was one thing that I was using. I'm, I'm looking at my Google Chrome toolbar right now. There was one thing that I was using that would help me practice the Pomodoro method or Pomodoro technique, whatever that's called. And I could see that it is no longer here. I honestly don't even recall deleting it, but apparently I did. So do you have any digital tools to you know, help us remain focused? Yeah, so there's a few things we can do. So uh, th this comes under the fourth step of preventing distraction with PACT. And so we can use technology to block out tech distraction. Uh, and so a tool that I use almost every day is called the Forest app. And Forest is, is fantastic. Basically, this is what's called an effort pact. It's a pre-commitment that I make with myself. It's a promise I make to myself to not get distracted for a certain period of time. So when I'm doing my focused work, I pull out my phone, I open the Forest app, I dial in how much time I want to focus for. And for that time, a little virtual tree is planted. And if I pick up my phone and do anything with it, the little virtual tree dies. Okay, it's a wow. stupid little virtual tree. Who cares, right? <laughs> How stupid is that, right? But it's enough of a promise with myself. By the way, this works really well with kids too. I have a daughter who's 11 years old who loves it, right? Because she loves her little virtual tree and she can collect them and all that. I don't really care about the collecting part. But I like the fact that I have this little reminder of, oh, you made a promise to yourself not to get distracted, not to use your phone, and the app helps you do that. So that's an example of an effort pact. Uh, back to what we were talking about earlier about, about hacking back external triggers, I'd show you how to hack back the devices that many of us think are so distracting. For example, you, know, you can use a free Chrome extension called Facebook Newsfeed Eradicator that strips out the Facebook Newsfeed or the LinkedIn Newsfeed so that instead of seeing all this stuff that's designed to distract you, you just see an inspirational quote. And guess what? There's nothing that Zuckerberg can do to change that, right? It's totally free. Why don't we all use it? It's right there for the taking. Or when I watch YouTube videos, I love watching YouTube videos. There's nothing wrong with watching YouTube videos, but I don't need to see all those ads and crap on the side of the page that is built into the product to distract me, to keep me watching videos I didn't come to see. So what do you do? You go online, you get a Chrome extension that's called YouTube DF. DF stands for distraction free. It's a free Chrome extension that scrubs out all those distractions for free. So these are examples of how we can outsmart the tech companies, how we can hack back their products to suit our needs as opposed to using them on, on their schedule and according to their needs. 
Interesting. I'm going to make sure that all of these helpful tools are, are definitely in the show notes of this episode. Now, Nir, I want to ask if people can only take away one thing from the book, what would you want that to be? I want people to realize that they are more powerful than they think they are. That one of the things I talk about in the book in the first section around, um, around mastering your internal triggers is to reimagine your temperament. So many of us have these horribly self-defeating beliefs about our temperament. We tell ourselves, oh, I'm lazy, I'm distractible, I have a short attention span, and these are lies. I mean, you know, let, let me just caveat that. Some people do actually have obsessive compulsive disorder, ADHD, addictive disorders. That's about one to 5% of the population. Some people do struggle with these pathologies. But the vast majority of us, there's, there's nothing wrong with us. But we tell ourselves these stories, and the latest story, this is, this is the worst, that technology is addictive, that it's hijacking your brain, that it's doing it to you. And this is rubbish because there is so much we can do. Most people don't even try, but they call it addictive. They say, oh, it's doing it to me. There's nothing I can do about it. My kids, there's a whole section in the book about how to raise indistractable children. And so they say, oh, my kids are addicted to video games. There's nothing I can do. Well, that's ridiculous. There's so much you can do. You can master the internal triggers. You can make time for traction. You can hack back the external triggers and you can prevent distraction with packs. That's how we become indistractable. I love that. I love that. Now, I want to respect your time, but I have a couple more questions for you. These are, are more so for you yourself. And the first one is, what's something you're proud of that people don't know about you? What's something I'm proud of that people don't know about me? Uh, <clears throat> so most people... You know, the, 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 the thing I'm, I'm most proud of, but proud is a tough word because proud denotes kind of effort you've put into something and, and I can't take all the credit. I, I have to say, and this is a little bit cheesy, I apologize, but I'm, I'm really proud of my marriage. Uh, I've been married for almost 20 years now and uh, it's, been, it's, it's been work. Uh, I met an amazing person in my life. Uh, I, I met my wife, Julie, uh, in college and she's been... Uh, a, a, an amazing friend for these 20 years. And we, but we've also put a lot of work into that relationship. And we, you know, she helped me with this book uh, quite a bit. She's mentioned throughout the book. And uh, I think, I think that's something I'd be very, very proud of uh, that. I think most people don't, don't know quite how much, how proud I am of, of my marriage. Yeah. Listen, there's nothing cheesy about that at all. I, I respect that so much. And I got to ask, how much do you feel Julie and your marriage has contributed to your continued success? hundred uh, percent. I, I don't, yeah. uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to overstate. <laughs> I mean, yeah. she, she's, she's, uh, she's, she's a really tremendous woman and, and I, I don't know where I'd be without her. I love that. Now, what was a piece of advice or what was the best piece of advice you've ever received and who gave it to you? Okay. So some of the best advice I've ever received from a, from a business advice standpoint, uh, I remember when my last company uh, was raising money from venture capitalists, we were, we were on Sand Hill road, you know, in, in uh, Silicon Valley, we were going up and down Sand Hill road to try and raise millions of dollars for this company. And I'd never raised money from venture capitalists before. I didn't even know what a venture capitalist was <laughs> prior to, to raising money uh, from them. And I remember being really nervous uh, and, and it was almost a debilitating amount of anxiety when I would go to these investors and ask them for millions of dollars. I mean, who the heck was I asking these, these people for money? And I remember a friend of mine told me uh, this, this phrase that I try to remind myself uh, frequently, which is, he said, it's just prom. 
said, just prom. What, is, what does that mean? It's just prom. He said, remember when you were in high school and the senior prom was coming and everybody thought it was such a big deal, right? Who are you going with and what are you wearing? And where are you going to go for the after party? And you know, all this stuff mattered so much back then. And of course, now looking back, who, who the hell cares, right? It's, it was pointless. It was just prom. And he said, you know what? Everything is just prom, right? Like this is going to pass, you know, the, the, the fleeting moments pass, the, the hard bumps pass. It's just prom. And I think that gave me a lot of confidence. Uh, we did end up raising a bunch of money and, uh, you know, I, I managed to, to guide us through that process. And I think part of it was remembering, eh, it's okay. You know, this is, that was a good problem to have that people were, were taking these meetings. And even though I was very nervous about what might happen at the end of the day, I realized that in a few years time, no matter what happened, uh, it's just prom. I, and it reminds me to not take things quite so seriously. I love that. I love that. I'm going to have to implement that into my life because quite often I could take things rather seriously. So it's just prom, definitely instilling that. So thank (laughs) you for sharing that. Now on the topic of advice, what's a piece of advice that you didn't want to hear at the time it was given to you, but it proved to be true over time? Uh, wow. You know, that is a long list. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I remember, so one thing with my last company, I didn't, I didn't understand the structural, uh, realities of the place we were operating in. And I remember thinking, so we, we built a product, uh, that helped, uh, companies with apps on Facebook. This was before, you know, today when you think of apps, you think of iPhone apps and, and, and Android apps. But back then, uh, you know, this was before the Apple iPhone was introduced. And back then apps meant Facebook apps. And I remember somebody giving me advice that, you know, this company you're building, you're really at the mercy of the platform. You are really at Facebook's, uh, you know, whatever they say goes. And I was like, ah, no, that's okay. We'll get so big and so profitable that there is nothing they can do to us. And that was definitely not true. (laughs) That, That you have to understand market dynamics. You have to understand the space you're operating in, particularly when you are operating in someone else's walled garden. That can be a very, very dangerous place. And so I, I, I do angel investing now and I never invest. Not that I will never invest. I mean, if there are some conditions met, uh, but I would be very, very cautious uh, of, of building a company on someone else's platform. It's very risky if, if they decide that they don't like you anymore. What do you feel are the biggest differences from near in whatever year you started or started dabbling in entrepreneurship versus today? Like, do you, do you see major differences in the person you are? Yeah, I think, I think I started my, uh, two companies. Uh, I'll be honest with you for the wrong reasons. Uh, I think I, at that time was kind of dazzled by the money that if you build a company, uh, then that's the way to the American dream. That's your path to, to, to wealth and riches. And I, I think I probably started those companies for the wrong reasons. I think that is the wrong reason. Because if you start a company just to make money, uh, you're just bad at math because the odds are against you. And, and thankfully, you know, we, 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 it was, everything was fine. Uh, you know, we got on our feet financially because of, of the first company. The second company was just okay. Um, but I, I now realize that starting a company just to make money is, is a really bad reason, that there are other paths to financial success and risk-adjusted you know, frankly, you're probably better off just getting a job if what you want is money because there's a lot of risk to starting a business. And I, I think there's a myth in a way that, 
you know, wealth can only be attained through uh, starting a company. I don't think that's true. I think that there's many other ways to accomplish, to, to reach, reach uh, financial independence. And furthermore, um, I think the right reason is something like if, you know, if I were to start another product company today, I'm an author and speaker, but it's, it, you know, just Julie and me. So I, I don't really think of it as a company, even though it's, you know, it is the two of us, we do have a business, but it's not the same in terms of a, a, a client product type sales type business. Uh, but if I were to start another business uh, like that, like a, a product company, I would do it for the right reasons, which are to build something that you yourself want to see in the world. I think that is the right reason to start a business. That if you see an opportunity where you say to yourself, okay, this can be financially successful, that's fine. It's okay to have that aspiration. But first and foremost, I want this product to exist in the world. That's a good reason because then you can't fail. Even if the company financially doesn't work out, you built something you wanted to see in the world. And this particularly applies, you know, to software type products. If you build a product that you yourself say, I need, not only is there a pretty high chance other people will need it too, but if all else fails, you have the product, you built it. <laughs> and so I think that's, that's what I've learned in those years since I started my first company. I love it. I love it. Now, last question for you. What is a question you wished more people would ask you and how would you answer it? <laughs> Ooh, that's a tough one. People have asked me all kinds of questions. <laughs> um, what's a question I wish more people would ask me and how would I answer it? I have to think about that one. That's a, that's a tough one. What, what, what do you most want to ask me? Or, what's a, or what do you wish people would ask you? You know, that, it is a tough one. So when it you, is when a you tough reverse one. <laughs> it on me, you hit me with the Uno card, the reverse card. Yeah, the, the reverse <laughs> card there. What, what, what would you want people most ask you? You know, Honestly, I, I think I get questioned quite often because I transitioned out of my first job, which was with Damon John of Shark Tank directly out of college. And, mm -hmm. you know, people thought the transition was effortless and smooth and, you know, mm -hmm. just like so easy. And to be honest, it, it's not. That's kind of why I asked the question about what did you see difference wise from where you are today versus where you first were as, you know, when you started to dabble with entrepreneurship, because at the end of the day, I'm glad to amplify this message here on the podcast, especially with you, you know, times get freaking dark, you know, yeah. the entrepreneurship yeah. is rough and I'm a solo founder. Granted, I mean, I'm, I'm not in tech or anything like that. I launched a branding agency here in New York city, but you know, times get really tough and mm -hmm. you could land 10 clients one day and you're really excited. And the next, it's just like, what happened? You know, all the excitement's yeah. gone, you know? So I wish more people would ask me about that. And maybe it's on me because I'm not, maybe not open enough about it. But honestly, I think that's what it would come down to. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's, that's a really great point. I think if there's one other lesson, uh, I wish people would heed. And I don't know if I want them to ask me this. So I'm not exactly following in line with the, with the, the prompt, but I think this is an important piece that I think, you know, 90% of success is just showing up. It's, you know, despite the hard times, as you mentioned, right? Like, do you show up the next day? If you have that hard day one day on Monday, it's a, a crappy day. Do you show up on, on Tuesday? You know, are you, are you, are you ready to take on the day the next day? And I can't, I can't tell you enough how many people I have come in contact with over the years who just don't do that who don't show up when they say they will. Not only, you know, like a, you think about the contractor who you call the plumber, you know, those type of guys, even in, in, in professional organizations, you know, like uh, knowledge worker type stuff where people just 
don't show up. Like even if they're at their desk, they're not, they're not really there. They're not there to make the most of the day. Uh, and, and that is just, it's so simple. It's so basic. Just do what you say you're going to do. I mean, and this goes back to the theme of indistractable of, of, being the kind of person who does what they say they're going to do, it is such a competitive advantage to be the kind of person who is known as the person who delivers. People love working with that type of person, the person they can count on, the person who's going to move mountains, who just does what they say they're going to do, or they don't promise it, right? I got no problem with someone saying, I'm sorry, I can't do that. You know, whatever, time constraints, resource constraints, that's fine. What I can't stand are are the yes men or yes women who say, oh yeah, I'll do that. And then don't deliver. Drives me nuts. <laughs> and when I find someone who does deliver, oh my God, I hug them so tight and I keep them near me and we do business for the rest of our lives together because those people are really rare. Now, what, what do you feel like makes people not show up that next day? Do you feel like it's attachment to outcome or do you think there's anything more to that? That's a great question. I, you know, I don't understand that mindset. To me, if I tell somebody I'm going to do something, uh, there better be a damn good reason why it doesn't get done. I mean, there's got to be a real crisis if I don't deliver or at least communicate why it's not going to happen. I don't really know. What do you think? I mean, I'm sure you've worked with, with different employees uh, who, who just who don't deliver, who can't, who can't keep their word. What, what do you think? I personally think, and you know, this is from my personal experience. I I can't say that I haven't, or maybe there have been times where I haven't came through for myself. And I feel like majority of the time in those situations, which isn't really a big sample size. I mean, I, I like to put myself out there and I like to come through for myself, but in the times where I probably haven't, and you know, business aside, maybe it's me going to the gym X amount of times or eating a certain way. You know, I, I think that it comes down to accountability at the end of the day. And I feel like oftentimes it comes down to how we hold ourselves accountable to be honest. Oh, let, me, let me be, let me be super clear. I would, I used to lie to myself all the time right? Like, so I totally agree with you. Like, this is why I wrote indistractable was because I was, I was, you know, it would kill me to not deliver when I promised something to someone else, but I would lie to myself all the time. So I, I hear you on that. Uh, and that's what indistractable is about is how to be as honest with yourself as you are with other people. But when you make a promise to someone else, do you deliver on that promise? Oh, you have to, you, you have, have to, to right? Yeah, so that's have, the part I don't understand. How do yeah. people look, look someone in the eye in business and say, yep, I'll deliver that and they don't, <laughs> whether it's an employee, whether it's a, you know, a business partner. I mean, that, that drives me nuts. You know, personally, I'll, I'll, I'll eat the, you know, if, if something doesn't get done, you know, I, I will sacrifice myself and promises I make to myself. And that's what Indistractable tries to help you get over as well. But it's the other people part that I don't, I don't fully understand. Yeah, I'm really big on brands. So I'll give you an example. I can't have you near hop on here and, and leave here and be like, wow, that, that, freaking sucked. You know, like, um, and anything that has my name on it, listen, I want it to be the the best thing possible. So uh, I'm really big on that. And listen, I I don't want to hold you any longer. I really appreciate this conversation. It's really eye opening. The book is amazing. And on that topic, where can people keep up with you? Where can people get the book, both of them hooked and indistractable, uh, you know, drop it. 
Absolutely. Yeah. So my blog is nearandfar.com. Near is spelled like my first name, N-I-R. So that's nearandfar.com. And uh, my first book is called Hooked, How to Build Habit-Forming Products. And my next book is called Indistractable, How to Control Your Attention and Choose Your Life. And if you go to indistractable.com, you can get all kinds of free resources like uh, uh, an 80-page workbook that's completely complimentary, all at indistractable.com. Awesome. Nir, all of that stuff will be in the show notes, by the way. And Nir, I just want to express my gratitude again. I really, really enjoyed this. Really grateful for the opportunity to have you and amplify this message. So thank you again. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And that right there, folks, is exactly how you become indistractable in life. And I just want to make this clear, not indestructible, although being indistractable might make you indestructible in some ways, which is quite interesting. But first and foremost, Nir, shout out to you, man. I really appreciate you hopping on here and dropping all of this value. Now, what I'm going to ask you to do is make sure you're connecting with Nir. Listen, this book, Indistractable, is phenomenal. Nir sent it to me before this episode, and I I ran through it in like three days. I am not the fastest reader in the world. I'm not the best reader in the world, although I'm not the worst. I'm not the best. I'm working on it. But I just went through this book because it's just so spot on. How many of us can or should bolster our focus and rid ourselves of the distractions in our lives and take the precautionary measures to help us get rid of these distractions, right? Like social media is good. We talked about that. There are good things around social media, but at the same time, it can be detrimental to your work. It could be detrimental to how much you're doing, to your social life, to whatever, right? There are so many things. And listen, I want to go into three, three points that Near pointed out here in this episode. So again, make sure you're connecting with Near. The book Indistractable is on shelves. You could check out his book Hooked, which is also on shelves. It's been on shelves for a while now. Great, great book. You could find all of the show notes or all the links in the show notes of this episode. I highly, highly suggest that. Now, the first point that I want to make is traction, right? We need to know what is traction and what or I should say, what is moving us forward as opposed to what is a distraction. Both of them, as Nier mentioned, have action at the end of them, but one moves you forward or moves you in the direction. I shouldn't say forward because we talk about that growth isn't always forward movement, but moves you in the direction toward what you want to achieve. And then the other one, distraction, moves you away from it. For, for lack of better terms, right? Distraction kind of just keeps you in the same place. Maybe you fall behind a little bit. It happens, it happens. But I think it's really important for us to deep dive into our lives, deep dive into our day-to-day, deep dive into our daily habits to identify what it is that's traction and what it is that's distraction. Now, the second point, and listen, I, I mention this literally every episode, but when we're talking about the things at the end of the episode that really stand out to me, man, It is freaking hard. It is really freaking hard. But the second thing that I want to talk about here is all of the tools that are available to us to to help us rid ourselves of these distractions and these external triggers, right? There are countless amounts of tools that are linked in the show notes of this episode, whether it is eradicating the Facebook newsfeed so that when you go to it, you see a positive quote or a motivational quote or, you know, YouTube DF or Google Chrome Pomodoro technique add-ons. And listen, the list goes on. There are so many tools available to us. And I think one thing that I want to say right away is the fact that you don't have to be perfect. And I know near 
talked about it very briefly and I, I just want to mention it again. It's like if you pick up your phone and you're telling yourself you don't want to pick up your phone and you do, like don't just get down on yourself. Like you're a freaking human. I'm not saying that's your excuse every time, but if it's your first week trying and you're just like shit, like I picked up my phone, well, don't it's not the end of the world. But you can't just give up. You can't just stop trying and I think that's the really important thing to take away from what I'm saying there and what Nier said earlier in this interview. Now, the third thing, it might not be aligned with becoming indistractable, but it was a point that was brought up by Nier that was a piece of advice that he received and I really, really like it. And the piece of advice is, quote unquote, it's just prom. It's just prom. And what Nier was saying there was that at the end of the day, what happens after prom? Like, you, you kind of forget about it, right? It's kind of just over. In the beginning, leading up to it, it's it's serious. Like, you need to know what you're wearing. You need to know where you're going for after prom. You need to know who your date is. You need to know who your best friend's taking. You need to know whose limo you're going, where the limo's picking you up. Where's the venue? Where around the venue might have booze, right? The, listen, the list goes on, but you have to understand that it's just prom. And when we go into things, having that it's just prom mentality, I think is quite unique. And I think it could be really, really helpful. I know it's something that I'm going to apply to my life because as mentioned in this episode, there are times where I take things rather seriously that although they are serious, they don't need to be taken in the context that I take them. So again, those three things are, we'll start with the third, quote unquote, it's just prom. The second, we talked about all of the tools that are available to us, man, the list is endless. Let's take advantage of that. And the first thing that we talked about is knowing the difference between what is moving you forward in life or moving you in the direction in which you want to go to achieve your goals and what is taking away from that? What is distracting you from that? Listen, I could go on for days about what is in this episode because it is powerful and it is super, super useful and valuable. Everything that was mentioned within here. So again, Nir, shout out to you. Make sure you're connecting with Nir on social. Check out his blog, check out his books. Amazing, amazing individual. And I'm sure he would spark a conversation with you if you slid in the DMs or something. So make sure you're doing that. Let him know you heard him here on Decoding Success. Now, as mentioned earlier in the show, I do not charge for this content, but one way you could pay us for all of the value that you receive today is to make sure not only are you sharing this episode, but make sure you leave a rating and review. Listen, I'm not even asking for five stars, but I would genuinely love to know your feedback on this show so we know how to make it better, so we know who you want to see on here, so we know how to bring value to you specifically. I think that's really, really important. So, like I said, just leave a rating and review. It takes less than 30 seconds. You could just click the stars, leave a couple words, whatever floats your boat. That would be really helpful to us. And while you're in the process, just sharing it, right? I did mention sharing it very briefly, but that would be super helpful to help get the word out and to help your inner circle, to help your mastermind, to help your team, your click, your crew, your squad, help them become indistractable in life. Because listen, at the end of the day, as cliche as it sounds, you are the sum, you are the average of the five closest people to you, and you have the opportunity to help them level up in their life, just like Nier and I did in this episode. So with that said, make sure you are sharing it, make sure you are rating and reviewing. If you're a business owner, top level executive, decision maker, a person that calls the damn shots, and you wanna scale your business, make sure you check out Gen M, our partner for this episode. You can find them linked in the show notes. 
Until next time, everyone, be blessed. Peace.